Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we're talking a whole lot of playoff today. We've got a ton to break down with Alabama, Cincinnati, and then Georgia, Michigan. We're going to bring out our buddies Candler and Perry to talk about the Georgia fan perspective, which in my opinion is about as fascinating of an angle that remains in terms of the major bowl games. also want to dig into some of these bowl cancellations, so we'll do that in a minute here as well. But first, Will, new idea. Okay. Similar to something we've done, but new idea. You know how we did 10 minutes or less in the offseason with, it was one of those days in which there was kind of like a myriad of topics that I wanted to hit on, but not necessarily spend a half hour talking about. Right. Remember that? It was, I think it was like June or July. It was one of those months, I think. Mm-hmm. And oh, and I had the timer. I do remember was, that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we're going to bust out the timer again today. Okay. We're going to have you do that. Um, so get the cell phone ready. Yeah, you know what? It was at the end of spring football. That's what it was because there, there was a lot of different things that I wanted to hit on. Um, and similar today, I don't want to spend a half hour talking about the bowl games that Mizzou and Florida played in. <laughs> uh, quite frankly, I don't even think their fans want to hear a half hour of that. So this is what we're going to do. You got the phone out. We're good yes. to go, right? You're going to set a timer for 90 seconds. Gotcha. And so I'll do 90 seconds on each bowl game that we saw from the SEC so far, 0-2, as the haters like to throw out there. The, the, the first SEC win of bowl season as of this recording, which on Monday, December 27th, has not happened yet. But we do have 90 seconds to spend on each. So, and then we'll, so after that, after, um, after both of those, then we'll close with any takeaways that you had on either game. Does that work for you? Cool, man. All right, sweet. So 90 seconds on the clock, ready, set, go. All right, Mizzou, Tyler Beatty did not play in the bowl game and it showed. Drinkwitz didn't do the three quarterback thing that we talked about either, which was a major bummer. One of several things that we talked about previewing bowl games that changed or just flat out didn't happen. That was a bad loss for Mizzou, and Mizzou fans know it. Not taking away anything from a service academy, but it's never a good sign when you take a lead and then proceed to blow a wide open two point conversion attempt and then allow a service academy to throw the ball down the field to set up a game winning field goal. Not the best look overall. And all things considered, I actually thought the defense was was okay and was all right in certain spots. And it wasn't necessarily a bad defensive performance. Steve Wilkes kind of has something to build on. Drinkwitz needs to develop his quarterback. Connor Bazelak wasn't it. He's in the transfer portal, friend of the program. He spells his name right. We appreciate that. Contrary to what the broadcast said, which, look, the broadcast was all over the place if you watched that game. I didn't agree with the take that Brady Cook could be an emerging star for Mizzou. He looked better than Bazelak. Definitely more mobile. Will tells me we've got 20 seconds left. But, like, dude had two touchdown drives against the Service Academy, and he went 56 minutes without a touchdown drive. They still couldn't stretch the field. Look, there's really no excuse for Mizzou being bad at quarterback next year. Given how Drink is recruited, he's got two more four-star guys. Macon was almost a four-star. All by low on the Elijah, Lungstock, the Elijah Young stock at running back. But sooner or later, Mizzou won't have a workhorse back like Beatty or Roundtree, and they're going to need some quality quarterback play, or else Mizzou is just always going to be that 6-6 six and six team that's going to win one game that it shouldn't. Boom. That wasn't bad. 90 seconds. All right. Florida, 90 seconds. Go. Ready? 
Wolf with a capital W. That game was a drunken mess. It felt like when you watch one of those home renovation shows and they walk into the house and there's like the homeless people who broke in at one point. Maybe there were some hoarders who lived there beforehand. Billy Napier is the person tasked with cleaning that up. And it's a shame that he won't have a dude like Damian Pierce with him to clean it up because as I tweeted, if I can make an all dudes who deserved better team, he'd be the captain. Nice to see him finally get the work he deserved, even though I still thought he was a touched underused in some of those critical spots. Not so nice to see a depleted Florida defense totally run out of gas in the second half against the UCF team that was far from vintage. UCF fans are going to be able to cackle about that one for the next three years. And there's nothing Florida fans can do about it because everyone knew about the circumstances. Gray Gus might be my favorite Gus because he's not walking on eggshells like with anything. Like he, he just says whatever he wants. I think Gus has a lot more Pat Narduzzi in him than we realized. And look, before you say that game didn't matter for Gus or didn't matter for Florida, whatever, um, look, the Photoshop UCF state championship banners, they're gonna fly forever. <laughs> I also don't wanna hear about the lack of motivation on the Florida side. Florida showed up ready to play, but it was outlasted by the better team. Florida fans were so ready for this season to be over. And the fact that they had to endure that game felt painful. Now you can turn the page. Hopefully Anthony Richardson is the guy and we see him unleash. Whatever the case, Billy Napier is gonna to have to do his best chip gains invitation and make that house not totally suck. Time. What do we do? Woo, pretty good. Yeah, man. That's fun. The old speed I'm round. I made it under the 90 seconds. Yeah, man. And like you said, just two, two hilarious games. Great job. <laughs> Let's just move on. All right. Let's move on to a subject that, uh, you know what? Maybe people don't want to really talk about this either, and they probably wish I was going to do 90 seconds on it, but we got to talk about it a little bit more because it is dominating all the headlines in college football right Wait, now. Wait, can, can I do bowl reactions? You just, man, come on, bro. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, react to those. React okay. to those. Go ahead. Go ahead. So all I want to say about these you know, super quick is like two things can be true about these bowl games, right? It can be you know, not a sign of where your program is and objectively hilarious. I, I think that's true for both of these games. I think that like Florida has this great coaching staff coming in. Mizzou has this great recruiting class coming in. Brighter days are ahead for both. This isn't an indictment of either program. Both games are hilarious. There's just not, not another way to put it. You lose your, like we talked about it on here. Uh, if you lose your service academy, it's funny. I don't care how it is if you're an SEC team and you are playing with more or less, you know, your full roster. Obviously, Tyler Beatty didn't play, but they, you know, they could have done the whole QB workout thing like you talked about. They decided to try to win the game and then lost. That was pretty funny. And yeah, I mean, I think overall, like Florida fans, we started on the LSU side where people are mad that coaches aren't being retained. Uh, now you can see why pretty much none of these coaches are being retained for Florida because this is the end of that season. It's the end of that era. Have fun. Y'all got some good coaches coming in and uh, you never have to see Emory Jones again. Let's go. Emory Jones, not exactly going to be crawling with Power 5 offers. Yep. That's the last thing I'll say. Yeah. Future Indiana uh, quarterback, Emory Jones? Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to say yes or no on that because if I do, I'm going to get cold taked on that in two seconds. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to punt on that one. I'm going to do what the Florida offense did far too often the other day. Yeah, there we go. All right. COVID is taking over bowl season and I hate it. All right. I think everybody hates it. Everybody who's listening to this podcast loves college football and we want to see these games played because they are entertainment. And if we can't flip on a bowl game at three o'clock on a random Monday, what are we really doing this time of year? Little peel behind the onion. 
I've got a great relationship with my in-laws. I've talked about that before. I have that relationship with my father-in-law where I basically do all of like the things that I didn't do as a boy. Like I'm doing them now, you know, riding on a tractor, use power tools. We go to Lowe's to get that random thing, like whatever. We, we do all of that stuff. And we bond over our love of Chick-fil-A and Hawaiian rolls, very specific things. But you know, it's these are, basic father-in-law, son-in-law type things that you get to talk about. Thanks. With my mother-in-law, we work out together. That's our thing. She built this home gym that is incredible. I mean, it is unbelievable. She's got it in the garage, got the treadmill, the elliptical, the rower, all the free weights you could ever want, the kettlebells, the whole deal. She's even got the TV that swivels in there, which is oh, kind of a go. step up from the gym. There's never a bad angle on it. It's it's unbelievable. About the only thing that she lacks is a squat rack. And I actually hung out with two different guys my age last week who have built their own squat racks. Very jealous of that. That's an unbelievable thing. Wish I had the craftsmanship to do something like that. We're getting sidetracked, whatever. With my mother-in-law. Sometimes that's working out at like a 5.30 boot camp. Other times it's like a 6 a.m. yoga class on Zoom, like the one that we did last week while I was up in Indianapolis. So we get on this call, this 6 a.m. yoga class, and it's mostly middle-aged women that I don't know. So I hang back and I'm not saying anything, of course. I'm there to loosen my hips, not necessarily participate in the pre-yoga chit-chat. Naturally, the subject of COVID comes up. One of the women, who is clearly taking all the precautions, says she saw that they might cancel the national championship here in Indy. And after 10 minutes of not saying a word, I blurted out, oh, they won't cancel the national championship. <laughs> I had no social filter whatsoever. I word vomited for like, I don't know, 30 seconds about the money that's at stake and why they'll find a way to play this game no matter what. And I later apologized to my mother-in-law because just replaying it in my head, I was kind of like, why did I need to blurt that out to a six-year-old woman who woke up probably 15 minutes earlier and was just here for a Thursday morning yoga? Dude, you are my favorite I, I person. Do that. You're one of those people that is the same all the time, and I love people like that. Like, you are absolutely yourself. And the concept of, like, they're just talking about their potato salad recipes or whatever, and somebody says a word about college football, you bust out the note cards. You're like, hey, look, buddy, I came to, I came to throw down in this year yoga class, right? I got a 15-page Google Doc ready to go. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, on, everyone. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> well, the more I think about it, the more I sort of realize that the optics of that initial message that we got from the CFP about potential forfeits is doing what they hoped it would if that's the way a 60-year-old Indianapolis native is reacting. I've said from the jump about this whole thing, about everything that has to do with COVID. It's all about optics, it really is. And yeah, public safety, enforcing protocols, that's, that's a priority, of course it is. But this is all about optics. More COVID equals more problems for them on the back end. It is hard enough to put on a national championship event without a hitch. It is increasingly difficult to put on that event when you have to juggle a very fluid situation. And believe me, it still is. We're seeing that all over the place. Last year, I had a bold communication staff member call me and talk for 45 minutes about different ways to make sure the media side was taken care of. The best system for post-game press conferences. Do you allow media on the field? What can we offer that makes the game worth covering in person as opposed to just sitting at home and catching the Zoom after the game? Again, that's just a small, small part of this whole thing. The big part of this is people connecting two dots. They see a handful of bowl games getting canceled and they see the college football 
come out, the college football playoff, come out and state that forfeits will occur in these situations. Mm -hmm. And look, I am not diminishing the impact of COVID because Omicron is seemingly everywhere right now. It's all over the place. But optics, they play a part in COVID cancellations as well. Teams are saying, nah, we got those extra practices already. We're going to be super thin at a certain position. We're not playing in a new six bowl. So let's just punt on getting a few million bucks instead of getting our teeth kicked in on our national stage. Maybe it helps that TV contracts are so massive now and a couple million bucks to play in a bowl game as a drop in the, in the bucket for a, you know, at least a handful of these teams, especially a team like AM, who between COVID, transfers, opt-outs, just doesn't want to put that product on the field for a non-New Year's Six bowl game. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll just sit this one out. And why can they do that? Because as the Washington Post noted, in the 23-page section of the NCAA's postseason bowl handbook, there's not a single mention of COVID policies. They made sure in this handbook to outline how many corporate logos are allowed to be on the field, but they weren't able to be like, hey, COVID rules maybe? That's because the NCAA has no power. We've been saying this for the last year and a half. They have no power. Bowl games in a capitalist college football world that we live in, bowl games run this. And they work with the conferences to come up with whatever protocols they deem necessary. And pivoting, it's not exactly their strong suit. We're finding that out. This is all about optics. We're seeing pro leagues like the NFL and the NBA, they're changing their COVID protocols for vaccinated boosted players. Why? Because they now realize that they're screwed out of a ton of money if they don't loosen restrictions on professional athletes who are asymptomatic. I'm not saying the college football playoff is about to overhaul their COVID protocols, though they absolutely need to consider the nuance of testing positive now versus 18 months ago. What I am saying is they're threatening this because they want teams to not put that pressure back on them. They don't want a playoff team with half of its scholarship players out on COVID because that shows they show up and then they make the college football playoff look like the bad guy. I think they'll absolutely find a way to make these games happen. But to come out with a statement like that, essentially a week and a half ahead of time, sends the message that they want to avoid that disastrous conundrum and they don't want the optics of loosening restrictions at the last minute because they are still technically amateur athletes. Remember when Greg Sankey got up to the podium at SEC Media Days before the start of the season? It's pretty easy. Like, regardless of how you feel about the COVID, about COVID and the vaccine, what we can all agree on is it's a whole lot easier to manage all of that if teams are vaccinated and taking precautions rather than trying to navigate the alternative scenario. Mm -hmm. But it's weird because remember when we all kind of wondered early on with COVID about how all these leagues, universities would handle the liability aspect of this? Well, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Has any pro sports organization or university been taken to the woodshed in a lawsuit because a person attended and got COVID? Is there anything that comes to mind? Not that I know of, and I feel like if one happened, I mean, hey, I know, I know one journalist would have been tweeting about it, Connor. <laughs> we all know who that is. Still, these organizations try to protect against that with these enforcements and threats just to show that they're taking it seriously. I get it. It's bad optics for them too. My gut says that they will not be forfeiting 
national championships. I think they want to make teams take the Michigan route and fly directly to Indianapolis to control as many variables as possible. That's what I think a lot of this comes down to. Whether that happens remains to be seen. But just as I blurted out to that woman in my mother-in-law's yoga class, they won't cancel the national championship. Will, anything you wanted to add before we break down actual football games? Yeah, I'm just, I'm honestly shocked you didn't get a story out of that. Like, you know how during the election they did the, we interviewed like a Trump supporter in a diner? It's like, I interviewed a 60-year-old yoga instructee <laughs> from Indianapolis about college football, and here's what I learned. No, but uh, yeah, I mean, I hate to be the guy that's just like, oh, well, like, this is not congruent. But, I mean, there are some teams, like, my buddy sent me a, a tweet that, like, one team was, like, going to Disneyland. <laughs> it's like, there's... So, like, some situations where teams are taking this super seriously, some where they're not, there are some where bowl games are making this seem like it's the biggest deal in the world, some where it's not. So, I feel like we're just kind of in this situation that, you know, it all kind of coincided with the NIL stuff where bowl games just aren't what they used to be. Um, you know, going all the way back to 15, 16, talking about, you know, McCaffrey, Fournette, those guys. Uh, and now it's kind of at this point where we've all kind of punted on caring about these non-New Year's Six Bowl games, right? Like, if we have to lose something, right? And I love bowl games. We all love bowl games. But it's like, hey, a lot of teams are going with safety over that. And like you said, the line of scrimmage then becomes, okay, the New Year's Six Bowl games and the National Championship games, and, or uh, playoff games, I mean. And I would say to you, it's like, you know, all those statements are great, and we talked about this off air, but it just seems like if we were in an actual situation where something had to happen, I feel like they would, I mean, these games are important, man. These are these are young kids' lives, and, and we've kind of done, we've been in this COVID universe for two years at this point, and we had a year where we didn't really know what everything was, and now it's just kind of like, you know, man, I hope I hope they get these games played. I hope that it sounds like a nightmare as a fan, especially, you know, as like a Cincinnati fan or a Michigan fan that has never been there before, that your team could get walked over. And I think that, like you said, I think it's just bluster. I, I don't think it's possible with all the TV contracts and with all the money involved that that doesn't happen. I, I don't know. To just not have that wiggle room for these games would be surprising. Yeah. It'd be very surprising. And we were talking about this a little bit off air of like, well, what if you had a scenario in which you decided, all right, Wednesday, we play these games on a Wednesday instead of playing these on a Friday, mm -hmm. you would still theoretically have like, what, five days to be able to prepare for a national championship or if you wanna play it on a Tuesday instead and push this back three days under the, the circumstance of like, hey, if we get these guys quarantined and we're able to, to test them and, and we're able to, to adjust and have better numbers, then I think they would do something like that. I don't think that they're gonna resolve to forfeiting because you talk about like all the all the mess that you could open up with that about what universities would do to not get to play on that stage because of this policy that you just kind of made up at the last minute and just kind of decided this. Man, that yeah. would be that would be a can of worms that I really, really hope and don't think will be opened. But I guess never say never in this day and age. I just really hope that we're able to play these games on schedule and yeah part of it is because look i'm excited to be able to go to these games and i'm i'm looking forward to be able to go to the orange bowl i'm pumped to go to the national championship and i i hope that we don't have these these restrictions and these these forfeitures as many speculated after you know the the uh college football playoff through this scenario out there all right let's talk about actual you had a big two weeks man you need to start a TikTok or something you're gonna be going all over the place you're gonna be covering games it's gonna be fun bro I don't think I need to start a TikTok yet. 
society needs the O'Gara TikTok because you're one of those people that you would be like, this is dumb, this is whack. And then you'd do like two of them and you'd be like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I've got enough things in my life that can waste my time, man. Mm-hmm. I got enough things. Um, shout out to all the TikTokers out there who are definitely listening. Like, what are you talking about? TikTok's a great use of time. All right, that's you. That's fine. Alabama, Cincinnati, Cotton Bowl. Alabama's a 13 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have for this game, 2.1 yards per carry from Cincinnati. Why 2.1 yards per carry? Very specific, really specific, some might say. Since the start of October, that is what Alabama has allowed. As much as we talked about all year that this wasn't a vintage Alabama team, that's been such a consistent strength since the Florida debacle. Cincinnati, top 10 nationally with 5.36 rushing yards per attempt. Bearcats, number 10 in the country in rushing scores. Jerome Ford against his former team. Um, by the way, he doesn't like it if you call him former. Uh, if you call him an Alabama transfer, he's not on board with that. Likes to be known as Cincinnati tailback. Um, all right, that's that's cool. your thing. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, anyways, Ford against his former team is the and, and against that Bama front. That's the battle that nobody seems to really be digging into because it's almost a foregone conclusion that. You're just not going to be able to line up and run the ball at Alabama. But if I'm Cincinnati, I need balance. Absolutely. I cannot afford to turn into a one-dimensional passing offense. Because if you do that and Will Anderson gets to pin his ears back, good night, see you next year, or perhaps never again in the 14 playoff. I watched Georgia start to figure that out last year in the Peach Bowl, and it was bad news for Desmond Ritter. What Cincinnati has to do is not get discouraged when the running game doesn't get rolling in the first quarter, because my guess is that it won't. But you at least need to trust it long enough to try Try and burn some clock and shorten this game. If this turns into three and out, three and out, the Bearcat defense will wear down in the second half and this will turn into a comfortable Alabama win. What's Alabama's offensive path to a comfortable win? I think, obviously, starts with repeating the offensive line performance we saw in the SEC championship, you know? Blocking Maybe a good somebody. idea. You know, <laughs> blocking everyone. Right. No sacks. Um, taking care of elite pass rushers, great place to start. Good formula. Obviously, that's that's a point of emphasis for Alabama in this one. If Bama is going to block like that and pick up pressure again, good night, see you next year, perhaps never again in the 14 playoffs in Cincinnati. Bryce Young can still carve this defense up if that's the case. But here's where it gets interesting. I don't want Georgia fans to take this the wrong way because in a nutshell, this might sound like a little bit of a dig or we're playing the results, but I think Cincinnati's secondary is much, much better prepared to handle Alabama's passing attack than Georgia was. I say that for a couple of reasons. Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, two guys that we've talked about a lot in the last few weeks on this podcast, that's the top cornerback duo in the country, and that's really the foundation of this defense. Cincinnati gets coverage sacks, while Georgia would impact the passing game by generating pressure without needing to send extra defenders. Here's the difference between Georgia and Cincinnati. If you look at both teams' official website, look at their official website, you can find this stat. I had to reread this like three or four times because it is wild to me. On the year, sack totals, virtually the same. Georgia 41, Cincinnati 37. But on the year, quarterback hurries. Georgia 193, Cincinnati 37. Efficient, some would call them. Yep. Um, yep. They, they make the most of it. And Cincinnati plays a lot of drop eight coverage, so that's kind of part of it. But 
even if there's a slight discrepancy in the way that stat is being tracked, that still tells you all you need to know right there. Mm -hmm. So why that matters for this game specifically. Cincinnati's defensive success isn't predicated on getting pressure, though it could because MyJ Sanders is in that second tier of elite edge rushers, and Curtis Brooks has pro football folks' highest pass rushing grade among all FBS interior defensive linemen. But that's why Cincinnati has been so effective against the pass this year. Number two in the country against the pass, got two lockdown corners who play almost exclusively on the outside. So expect to see Jamison Williams moved into the slot a ton in this game. And honestly, expect Bama to try and play a lot of bully ball without John Mechie especially. As weird as it sounds to say that taking the ball out of Bryce Young's hands makes sense, it at least makes sense to try and see what you have with that advantage up front as opposed to hoping that Slade Bolden or like a true freshman wideout with limited reps can get separation against an All-American. I think this game feels a bit more like 2017 Clemson, that semifinal game Bama played, maybe 2016 Washington. Alabama sort of has to grind one out against Cincinnati and maybe it takes a defensive score to really blow this open. I see a scenario in which Cincinnati hangs around in the first half and all those people who got the tweets in the drafts ready to go, just waiting to clown on Cincinnati. They're really frustrated and they have to wait until like late third quarter, early fourth quarter. But I think then too much Bama ground game, one too many mistakes by the Bearcat offense turns this into a 27 to 10 victory for the Tide. So Alabama covers in this one as well. Will, fire away. So you're telling me they have a corner named Kobe Bryant and it's the second coolest name by a mile. Right? Well, Kobe with a C. <laughs> right. And yeah. he is named after Kobe Bryant, obviously. Like, of, of course he is. Get ready for a whole lot of Kobe's in this generation. In the same way that, like, my generation all of a sudden had all these Jalen's all over the place. Shaxx. This yep. next generation, all the Kobe's. Man, so that... The, Cincinnati is a very interesting team, man. Like, Luke Fickle, I hope he stays there for as long as possible, especially with the Big 12 move coming up. He has been recruiting his butt off. Um, him and obviously Malzahn too at uh, UCF, but they have a quarterback behind Ritter that is like their highest rated quarterback they've ever had. He's a four star from Cincinnati and it's gonna be interesting to see how this team kind of builds from here. But as of right now, obviously Fickle hasn't really been there long enough to get the type of athletes that Alabama has. Uh, so point being, you know, this type of game, um, like you said, it's kind of dumb to play the results if this is a blowout and be like, oh, well, you know, like they got blown out, they don't deserve. Cause it's like, yeah, like, hey, Notre Dame got blown out, Oklahoma got blown out, like, but, you know, at the same time, if, if you want an added um, SEC flair, um, Mike Denbrock is uh, Cincinnati's OC. He's a guy that LSU is looking super hard at. And that's another guy that Bama can definitely clown on if they shut out Cincinnati. <laughs> so <laughs> just an other, another layer. It's like Bama fans could just be like, oh, wow, we shut out Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock <laughs> in these playoffs. Not this playoffs, but like throughout the course of the playoffs. Like they have really had some dominant performances. So like I said, as a neutral SEC fan, that's going to be something for me um, or, for, you know, someone to take a look at just how they scheme against a team with this much talent. They've never, outside of Georgia last year had to do that and like you said they played Georgia pretty close um but Georgia obviously doesn't have the postseason rep that Alabama does so yeah I think this is going to be a very interesting game I think you hit the nail on the head that actually them assuming the offensive line play holds up them uh pounding the inside is a great idea because those two corners are special man and and sauce I mean every time I've seen him play every like he started with this ridiculous amount of offseason hype 
and unlike a couple of LSU DBs, he actually got better throughout the year, uh, which is huge. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to start off with a small school like that, have all this hype, and, and get here where you're still a projected first-round guy. So it's going to be a really great matchup, like you said, and it's going to be great to see, you know, fresh off the Heisman, um, new offensive genius Bill O'Brien, how he's going to tear up the Cincinnati defense. Assuming that Bill O'Brien is back after testing positive for COVID, he and Doug, Doug Marone both tested positive. They're expected to both be able to return mm -hmm. for this one, but I don't think, uh, and this is more of a big picture thing for the playoff. Like if you're Georgia or Alabama, COVID, COVID should not be an excuse if you lose this game. Yep. Because just the, t the talent level that you have, the talent advantage, and we talk about the 247 sports talent composite, those rankings all the time and how the, the teams outside of the top 10 in these semifinal games, they're one in six. And the one win came in 2015, Clemson, Oklahoma, and both of those teams were outside of the top 10. So like somebody had to win right, in that yeah. one. History suggests talent matters when you have four weeks to prepare in something like this. And look, there's, there's going to be absences. Like there just is. But here's a question. And Will, you can answer this. Like if you took Bryce Young off Alabama, would you still say, yes, Alabama should beat a group of five team, even one as good as Cincinnati is? Would you still say that? Well, I mean, it obviously depends on who the backup would be in that situation. Um, Paul Tyson, Jalen yeah. Milrow. I mean, Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know because you know when Tua went down, it was like, oh, this is hopeless, and they, Mac Jones came out of nowhere. So even then, you know, what I'm saying it's not like those guys are scrubs. I I would still think that shouldn't be as great as he's been. The the way Alabama is playing right now, like if it was a month ago or two months ago, I'd be like, oh, Bryce Young is this team. After that performance against Georgia, it feels like they're really playing together and they're really cohesive. You know, I, I don't think that should be an excuse. I would love to see his like just very very. This is totally hypothetical here. Like we're not yeah. We're not, we're not sitting here predicting that Bryce Young is going to test positive or anything like that, and hopefully I don't get cold taked on this. But the, that's, that's what I think is, if, if you're an Alabama fan, if you're a Georgia fan, you, you can't turn to that as, mm -hmm. as an excuse if you lose this game and say, oh, well, we had to deal with this, this absence. It could impact the game, absolutely. I'm not denying that, and that would suck. That really, really would. But that's not something that you should turn to and say, well, you know, we, if we had had this player, we totally would have won that game. You have a significant talent advantage. Right. It, it is like you're not playing Clemson. You're not playing Ohio State. You have the five-star talent. Like Michigan has three five-stars on the roster. Two of them are starting. One of them is the backup quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, who's expected to get reps in this game um, in the Orange Bowl. And like Bama's sitting there with 14. Georgia's got 19. Like Georgia's got guys in the two deep, guys in the three deep that are waiting to, to see their to, to see the field because of all the depth. And meanwhile, like if Cincinnati or Michigan were to deal with all these COVID absences, all of a sudden you'd be like, well, yeah, the team with more depth, with more talent, you would think would have the advantage in that mm -hmm. scenario. So I don't even. I, I just don't think that. I don't want that to get thrown out there. I'm trying to get ahead of that narrative. Right. On, really, on on either side for Alabama or for Georgia. Yeah, just period. Talk if you're an you. SEC team, like, dude, the whole, like, we didn't care, we didn't try, like, that narrative is so whack. Not that that would happen in a playoff series, but it's like, you just got to play the games, man. Like, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? That's why, And that's why I said it with Florida, too. It's like, 
Florida fans knew that team was bad. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I saw some of the some of the beat writers talked about it too. Like Florida, Florida Sharp ready to go. They're just not a very good football team. <laughs> they were fighting they at the beat. end of that one. They cared, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they were fighting. They, you know, we did a little post game scuffle. Dan Mullen wasn't even a part of to incite. So. You know, Florida cared. They absolutely cared in that one. Um, but yeah, I don't think, especially in the playoff, that, that definitely won't be a topic of discussion. Uh, let's talk Orange Bowl. Georgia is a seven and a half point favorite against Michigan. I'm surprised that line has pretty much hung tight. It really hasn't had a ton of movement. Maybe as we find out more about some of these COVID absences, we'll be able to, we'll be able to watch that line and it'll move significantly. Uh, the over-under I have, four and a half references to the phrase over the hump works both sides that's the beauty of it listen that's the thing about the hump you got to get over it you don't want to be under the hump you have to the worst place to be is under the hump that's what i always say that can get taken in a lot of different ways didn't see that until right after i said that the talk will be about michigan and how it got over the hump against ohio state and finally won the big 10 championship and we'll also have the questions about whether kirby can get over the hump and win it all we'll have the result of the alabama game at this point so if georgia is up big in the fourth quarter we could get that over the hump thing as well with that i don't necessarily think that georgia will be up big in the fourth quarter but here's what i wonder about the yummy rat poison not not the bad stuff the good rat poison, mm-hmm. the rat poison you want to eat before a big time game. Does Georgia take a page out of Bama's playbook and come out pissed off with total domination in the trenches? Do we see that side of Georgia? Or does it play like a team who didn't have enough time to react to finally having that all important blueprint out there? And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because look, Kirby had four weeks to make adjustments to that blueprint that we saw from Bama. And if there's does one thing Kirby show? loves, it's adjustments. Well, come on. We're going to talk to some Georgia fans in a minute here. We don't need that kind of negativity clouding their judgments. Not at this stage of the week. If they want to react, if if the result says Kirby did not make the proper adjustments, then they can tee off. But they deserve to be in a a clear headspace going into this one. Oh, listen, I, I, think right. they'll, um, I, I think they'll crush Michigan. Like that, you, I, I make fun of everybody, man. Georgia's having a great season. I'm, I'm actually pumped for this matchup. I, and, and I am too. And I am pumped despite the fact that Stetson Bennett looks like he is going to get the full reps in this one. I, I'm assuming he's getting every meaningful rep at quarterback unless uh, unless I see JT Daniels out there taking a snap. I'm going to assume he's not playing in this one. And I'm not sure how much the positive COVID test really impacted that. Believe who you want with this whole deal about, you know, if that was, if that's being used as an excuse to not play, whatever the case, what's clear is that Kirby has no excuses whatsoever. No amount of COVID absences is going to make anyone feel bad for him. This is the guy that Shane Beamer likes to say, 105 stars, even though Beamer was talking about defense, you get it. It would be a nice time for Georgia to show that it has that massive talent advantage on the defensive side. Instead of falling behind and having no real way to stop the bleeding like we saw against Bama, Michigan is a brutal team to fall behind against, just like Georgia is, because that offensive line for Michigan gets after it. They've got two of Pro Football Focus's top three highest graded running backs in the country, and they've got multiple quarterbacks that they plan on using. But at the same time, I'm not sure that means they have a ton of room to adjust if the game script doesn't go their way. And the same is true of Georgia. That's what we talked about. These teams are really similar in what they want to do. That sense of urgency should be incredibly high from the jump. We need to see that not just from Stetson Bennett, but from the Georgia skill players in general. Brock Bowers may or may not be a human being. 
still <laughs> figuring that whole thing out. <laughs> but you're not winning a national title if he's the only guy who steps up among those pass catchers. Mm -hmm. You're just not. Here's a wild stat that I've been sitting on for a bit. Each of the last six teams to win it all had a receiver who was eventually drafted in the first round. The last one who didn't, 2014 Ohio State, who had Mike Thomas. Yep, I was um, about to say, Will? obviously, Mike Thomas, overrated. Will, you're a Saints fan. Yeah. Um, even given the last two years of Mike Thomas, we can agree he should have been a first-rounder then. We oh, can yes. agree now, first-rounder. So let, let's just, if we include him as a first-round receiver, which he should have been, the last team to win a national title without an eventual first-round receiver on the roster was 2011 Bama. And that was back when you could play a 9-6 to six overtime game and you could call it the game of the century. <laughs> Different yeah. offensive era than what we're at right now, 10 years later. I don't know that Georgia has a future first-round receiver. And up until the, uh, the SEC championship, we would have said, well, it's a good thing that they've got an all-world defense because if there's anybody who can overcome that, it's Georgia. Georgia needs Jermaine Burton and Kyrus Jackson to step up, but it would really help a whole lot if the guy closest to that first-round discussion, George Pickens, if he could flip that switch that we've seen in bowl games. We saw it his first two years. Can he do it again? It made sense to be super conservative with him in the SEC championship. That's why he only played 20 snaps. It wasn't like Kirby was going to send him out there to be an every down player. Mm -hmm. I think as long as he's able to uh, pass COVID protocols, we see much more of Pickens at least try to stretch the field and open up some of the underneath stuff. I'm not saying the full route tree is going to be available and he's going to play like 50 snaps or anything like that, but I think we see a lot more of Pickens in this. You're going to need the underneath stuff because Aiden Hutchinson, whether he was deserving of being a Heisman runner-up or not, he can absolutely bring the heat. And Stetson Bennett is going to have a whole lot of quick decisions to make. And if his receivers aren't making plays, he doesn't have a chance. He really doesn't. I don't think he plays anything close to a perfect game. But a Georgia defense that has been called a fraud for the last month, it bounces back and it punches Michigan right in the mouth. I am not worried about Dan Lanning having those Oregon duties to balance I don't think any rotation of quarterbacks truly works, and that Michigan backfield isn't quite able to sustain that high level they've been on for most of the season. I think Georgia gets some short fields. I think Zeus does his best Nick Chubb imitation to fuel the Georgia offense. I said it the other day, but I am sticking with my prediction. Georgia wins 27-17. to 17. Well, my foolish for doubting, or, well, not doubting Harbaugh, but mainly for doubling up doubling down on Kirby. Yeah, I mean, so, and we've talked about this, like- <laughs> Yes, is all I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, for sure. Like, I, I, I think that the over the hump thing is such a good, like, talking point for this game, because we've had so many conversations about Harbaugh. I know I've said this before in here, but it's like, when he came in and he had, you know, Tom Brady and all these recruits and stuff, and you look all this time later, and he's at this giant recruiting disadvantage, not only to Ohio State, but also to Georgia. And the hump for him was beating Ohio State, just to be honest with you. I think that from where this program has gone, from them being winless against Ohio State, losing a lot of weird games, they've already kind of slayed their dragon of the year. And so, obviously, you know, you love to win a national championship. This is their first appearance. For Georgia, that dragon is Alabama. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm not going to, like, discredit Michigan. But at the same time, you know, exactly what you said. They're like a, you know, Michigan is a four-star version 
version of the team that Georgia is a five-star version of. They're these big teams. They have great line play in the trenches. Um, like you talked about, Michigan's run game has been a little bit more dominant, but at the same time, you got to factor in the competition level. And and that doesn't take anything away from what uh, Hassan Haskins did against Ohio State because that was nasty. I'm not saying that that dude awesome. is. That's not saying, you know, you could put as many five-stars against that guy. He is a baller. Um, but at the same time, you know, we talked about uh, the lad Jordan Davis. And he had a pretty rough game against Alabama. And, and the, the big boys up front for Georgia were out of breath. You know, in that game, they were chasing guys around. Um, Alabama was running guys around the field. And Michigan's just not built to do that. So you look at a Georgia defense that was fundamentally built. You know, we could talk about Kobe Dean. We could talk about these great linebackers. But they were built up front. And Alabama was able to take that away from them. I don't think Michigan has the personnel to take Jordan Davis and these big guys up front out of the game. They're going to need to lead on the lean on the run game. And as we've seen with pretty much every big game for Georgia, that's usually where it starts to come apart. You see these tackles for loss. You see these guys starting to celebrate, and that's where the momentum shifts for them. On the same coin, like you said about in Hutchinson, it's like the last thing I'm trying to do if I'm Kirby is get Stetson Bennett back there. You know, no protection, four or five wide, like making checks with that dude in his face. That dude is also a baller. So yeah, it just benefits Georgia to, as much as I hate to say it, it's like their game plan for the first 12 weeks of the season seems about perfect for Michigan. Horrible for Alabama, but about perfect for Michigan. That play that I, I go back to, and I had to rewatch this to remind myself of its significance, but when Georgia was down 31-17 ICC championship and they're driving there in the red zone and um, I think, it, I wanna say it was third down. And I think it was like third and five. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. And it's it looks like a design rollout for Stetson. And for whatever reason, maybe there was a miscommunication on the protection or maybe this was just the way that it was drawn up. But Will Anderson essentially had a clean shot mm -hmm. and he was unblocked on this play. And he probably shouldn't leave Will Anderson unblocked. That's just my two cents. But he's rolling out and he's got to make a quick decision. And instead of being able to, to find receivers who can get separation downfield and somebody who knows how to find the soft spot in his zone because Bama was playing zone, he forces this throw to Brock Bowers. And Brock Bowers stops his route. And that's and it was a pick. And it, right when that happened, every Georgia fan said, game over. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Bama's got the ball up two scores, up 14 points, like latter half of the third quarter. There's no way. That was it. That was where the game fell apart. That can repeat against Michigan. It absolutely can. And I love Brock Bowers. But you just can't continue to have that be your only guy who steps up and looks the part. It just can't. Like Brock Bowers in the SEC championship was like, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Ivory, Ivory Christian from, uh, was, was, was that his name? From Friday Night Lights, the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy yeah. who steps up and he looks like he's the only guy who wants to be out there. Mm -hmm. He's the only guy who can match the physicality. He's the only guy who looks like, hey, they're, they're not strong. They're not anything that we aren't. And that was Brock Bowers in the SEC championship. Mm -hmm. And if that formula repeats for the Georgia offense, that is so bad. That is so frustrating because there's really no excuse for that at this point. We can't keep talking about the lingering injuries to these receivers. And yeah, it was, it was a cool story. It was awesome that they were able to get contributions like that out of Bowers and McConkie. Sooner or later, your stars got to be stars. They, they just have to. Your veterans have to be veterans. And you need that in a game of this magnitude against a Michigan defense that is feeling very confident. Albeit, you know, a Michigan defense that let up a ton of yards against Ohio State. That's kind of the lost in the shuffle thing of that game is like Ohio State's three stud receivers in that game still had like 
330 combined receiving yards. Mm -hmm. So we can't just look at that and say it's exactly the same sort of matchup and that Georgia's receivers are automatically going to be overmatched. They don't have the talent level of those Ohio State guys, but I still look at that and think, man, that's where they really got to start to get those guys to step up and get some separation. And hopefully Jermaine Burton can be healthy and look 100% Karis Jackson played, I think, more snaps than he had all year. So that's a good sign. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's a huge area. How are we going to talk about Kirby if he loses this game, Will? Oh, How dude, are we going to discuss? Harbaugh versus Kirby, bro. Like, that is such a chaotic, sickos, like, good game matchup. Because either way, it's like, oh, like, this guy can't win the, you know what I'm saying? Because like I said, Harbaugh's already beat Ohio State. Harbaugh's cleared it. Yeah, right. he's yeah, cleared yeah, the yeah. checkpoint. He's past that. Kirby, by, by no means is able to lose this game and have fans reacting positively, even though you could still kind of look back and be like, well, you know, you get to two playoffs and, you know, and, and you know, a, a four, a five, I guess, five year stretch, like you would still be all right with that. But at the same time, like, yeah. How would you, as like a, for the 360 view of Kirby, how would you look at him if it was clear he could make the adjustments, if this was just Michigan dominating from start to finish? So the thing that's tough about that man is like, so you were talking about the, the yoga conversation. Like I had a version of that conversation about Stetson <laughs> Bennett uh, with like some of my family. They were like, so tell me about how did Stetson Bennett get here? And like starting with like Justin Fields, going back through like Newman and da 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 like all these guys that ended up in Stetson Bennett starting all of these You didn't games. give them like a contraception story of like, oh, this was how <laughs> Stetson Bennett. I, that's the wrong word. Like you didn't give like when, the story of like how he was conceived. When uh, Stetson Bennett the third and his wife love, love each other very much. <laughs> no, Anyway, so point being, like, he went through all that, and it's like, how are we here? And like you said, like, JT is, like, probably not going to play in this game. And so it's, like, it's tough because, you know, this offense, you made the point about Ladd and, and kind of the guys that are on the field, and it seems Kirby is fitting in, fitting in, uh, falling into these pitfalls of, like, going with his guys over, like, the playmaker type of guys. And it's just tough because, like I said, you know, if their offense um, – if their offense struggles here, you couldn't really say, oh, you should have gone to JT, which is tough because we kind of like have both talked about that. We both talked about like, you know, I'd like to give Kirby some credit. Maybe if he had that decision to make, he could do it. But point being, you know, I, I personally think, man, the amount of sustained success Georgia has had is awesome. Like, I think that, you know what I'm saying? Every fan base outside of maybe Alabama and like Ohio State, I get. And Ohio State's done pretty much exactly what Georgia's done, so they got really no room to talk. But it's like, the thing that's tough is they're, they're in this Alabama funk that, you know, all SEC fans understand. And I, I you know, I don't know. I, I still think he's a top five coach. Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, it just comes down to trusting your coordinators. Like, like you have, he, he lost landing. That's going to be a big adjustment for him. And then Munkin, I think, has done what he promised to do, finally. I don't know what kind of caused that. Maybe last year was just weird. But it seems like Georgia's really headed in the right direction with these great classes. And almost no matter what happens, unless Michigan just blows them out. Like, if Michigan beats them by 40, it's going to be a meme fest. But I truly think that, like, this season was so historic and amazing for them almost regardless you know what i'm saying yeah i think uh i i would say instead of being like fire kirby and kirby would be serving of plenty of blame i'm a little bit more of the impression of like the andy reed comps yep andy reed is is somebody that nobody will compare kirby to if kirby loses in, in the semifinal or if he loses in the national championship but like how long it took that guy yep. to finally get over the hump and win a super bowl and how he, he he didn't necessarily have 
the people saying like he's an all-time great coach early on when he's losing all those NFC championship games and he gets the Super Bowl and he can't win it with the Eagles and then he finally goes to the Chiefs and it still takes a bit of time there and people are kind of questioning his decisions with the quarterback and like what are you doing with Alex Smith and then he finally gets this guy and then everything kind of finally lines up and now we look at Andy Reid in this totally different way Mm -hmm. than we did like five six years ago and so can Kirby like will Kirby eventually be that guy I, I don't know I have no idea but I think that path is still theoretically there. It would just help if he could get a win and get to another national championship. Man, no, that is a fantastic cop, man. Because what he ended up doing, the guy in there was trusting the talented quarterback. And they both, you know what I'm saying, he loved Alex Smith. And he finally was just like, I got to pull the plug on this. And that's growing and maturing. And with Kirby, it's like, yeah, we talked about with Fromm and Fields. And, and I don't really know about JT. That's the thing. We don't know. Like, he played pretty well down the stretch last year. He played very well. Um, but like I said. It's so weird. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like a Justin Fields type of situation, though, where it's like, oh, this guy is dynamic. Like, there was never question about Justin Fields. With JT, it's like he's played well, but he's not that type of athlete. Like, I don't know. You're absolutely right, though. It's like, that's the decision that changed it for Andy Reid, and it seems like that's going to be the decision that's eventually going to change it for Kirby if he makes it. I still think we'll see an all-SEC national championship. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, the anti-SEC crowd will be none too pleased. Um, all right, let's kick it to let's kick it to the fellas. A little crossover action with College Football Uncensored. Marlon and I, um, we text with Perry and Candler several times a week, so it was fun to be able to to chop it up with them, get their take on where they're at right now. OG listeners of the pod know that Candler is essentially Georgia's version of Rudy. Gained over 100 pounds to walk on and eventually get snaps at Georgia. So to say this means a ton to him would be an understatement. And Perry, well, uh, listen to Perry talk about the dogs for a minute and you'll see the same exact thing. So here is our buddies, Candler and Perry. All right, we got a little crossover event here. College Football Uncensored meets Saturday Down South Podcast. We got Marler, we got Candler, we got Perry, and we got myself. Let's let's just talk the fan perspective for Georgia because I think you guys have been through, obviously, a lot, not just over the past, oh, I don't know, ever, but really this year, emotionally, the uh, the past month or so. On a scale of one to 10, in terms of 10 being like, right after second and 26 um that ten, that's that's a 10 where where are we at right now let's Candler, let's start with you first well so when you say that uh, 10 is bad i'm guessing if it's right after second and 26 yeah 10 is how, yeah. how worried we are you know <laughs> i well i didn't know if you meant before then like before that play um but yeah so i would say probably at like a five um because i don't want to overreact to things. The last game was embarrassing for Georgia, quite frankly, but this, this has been by far the best regular season of my lifetime. Um, and not just because they went 12 and 0, but because of the way in which they went 12 and 0, um, those first 12 games, just the consistency that's shown through for Georgia was very impressive. Um, the depth that they've built on defense particularly stands out. So at the end of the day, the goal is to win a national title. And in order to do that, you have to be one of the last four teams playing, and they have done that. So um, hard to be too down on them about that one bad game. So I I would put it at a five. There are a lot of concerns that came out of that last game, um, but they've done a lot of things well that if they get back to those, every goal of theirs, including a national championship, is still within reach. Fair enough. Perry, what about you? Um, if you would have asked me the day after the game, I would probably say about a nine. Um, but right now I'm sitting at a four. Um, I think it's, you know, 
like Candler said, there was some stuff that got exposed. But if you look at the Kirby Smart tenure, he, he kind of has a game each season where he just gets blown out. Like, it's just not close. Um, so you, you could point out LSU 2018, you know, Auburn 2017, where they kind of, you know, go into a place, riding high, have a good week of practice, and then they just get hit in the mouth and they don't know how to respond. Well, in those, both of those two scenarios, they kind of responded – well throughout the rest of the season after those games are played, you know, 2017, they obviously made the playoff and 2018 played with Bama. You know, everybody was calling them the best team ever leading up to that game. And so they played pretty well and responded well to, you know, kind of a wake up call. So that's, that's kind of what I'm using to keep myself optimistic. I'm just keep reminding myself of those two games. Um, So I'm looking forward to the game this week. I'm about a four. Okay. That's actually better than I thought. I, I, I thought after the way that that ended and it, like it was almost worse that it was, it was such a blowout in that game in that setting, because like Marler, the amount of flexing that you as a Bama fan got to do after that game. No, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying you did. I'm saying okay, that you okay. got to do, had the right to do. Yeah. You were at, at a 10 after that game, right? I mean, that game compared to the blackout. It was, it was the happiest. Like, listen, everyone here knows it's not awkward, but everyone here knows what, what happened to me earlier this year. This is the best thing that happened to me in the last four and a half months. And I don't care how that sounds because that's, that's kind of how sports are sometimes. Like, it, they, they really, like, kind of help, like, you know, build bridges or, or like, that's how we're all friends, right? Like, is, is we haven't been together since. Right. Uh, now I just realized because I'm Bama lost last, but still, or to LSU. But, like, no, it's, like, it's one of those things where I was sitting there, this really cool moment, like, um, I got to go with Aflac and we were winning. And then Candler texted me and was like, you want to come to the, the suite? And I was like, this is a bad idea because we're winning right now in the spot that I'm in. And I, this is, but I was like, I, I got to go see Candler. So I went over there and I just had a blast hanging out with him and, and some of his friends. And, but yeah, he'll, he'll test to it. I was, I was like cloud nine, just cheesing the whole time because I didn't think it was going to happen. It had been kind of a season of some very close games that I think a lot of band fans were not able to enjoy because they're in nature just the worst fans possible because – they're so used to blow people out. And I thought we were going to lose. For them to win and win that way, it was awesome. It was, it was really cool. And so I tried not to flex too much. Like, Twitter's a different story. But I didn't even tell Taylor when it happened. I was like, you know, this is like the perfect situation for Georgia fans. Like, you are, you are in a situation where you can win the national championship and beat, beat Bama and get revenge in the national championship game. What's a better ending than that? It's still out there. But yeah. we got to address the elephant in the room here. All right, Perry. So – you aren't able to see us right now on this Zoom call that we're doing because you are just looking at a background of JT Daniels, which is behind you. Um, is JT Daniels there? Like, do you, do you know where he is? Do you have access to him? Is he going to be able to play in this football game? No, I mean, I don't know where he is. You know, quite frankly, a little concerning because he's been missing since, you know, the first quarter ended of the Vanderbilt game. So, I mean, I, I don't know where he is. That's just kind of my, like, you know signal like come home jt it's okay it's okay <laughs> to come back in if you see someone hiding him just real quick just i mean those are the questions we have all been asking yeah yep. okay so let's 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 paint a little scenario here and i, I don't I, i'm gonna start with the bat i'm gonna I'm build you up i promise but the scenario is michigan's defense comes out and looks the part aiden hutchinson is like will anderson who no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but Michigan's defense comes out and looks the part in this game, and it's ugly. And everybody and their mother is saying, how is Stetson the quarterback? Let's assume that JT passes COVID protocols and he's on the sidelines, at least for this game. We don't need the milk carton. Stetson comes out in the second half. 
What's what's your reaction to to that scenario and potentially seeing that play out? Candler, how about you first? You know, I think it's going to be tough. If if Stetson is still the quarterback and Georgia falls behind in this game by more than a score, I, I really don't like our odds. And I would say the same thing about Michigan. I, and to me, with how predicated Michigan is on running the football, I think if either team falls behind by much, it's not good in this semifinal matchup. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see, um, if Stetson can cut down on some mistakes, it would help Georgia a lot. Georgia so far this season has had by far the more balanced offense. When you compare them to Michigan, Michigan's been so predicated on running the ball and unless they're able to get a few chunk plays, I don't see them having sustained success on the ground enough to keep up with Georgia. If Georgia can at least put up 20 points or so. Um, I just think Michigan's going to need to pull off some big runs in, in or, or force some turnovers in order to um, to put up some points on this defense. But to me, you know, I, I think that it's possible for Georgia to win this game with a game manager at quarterback. But, it, you know, if or when they were to get a rematch against Bama, that, that's really the ultimate question is, can you manage to get by them with a game manager? And And I don't think anyone has really done that in the last decade. I mean, you could make a good case that Steven Garcia with South Carolina was a game manager, but even then he played the game of his life and that was 11 years ago. So the fact that that's even a conversation just shows you need elite quarterback play to beat Bama. So it'll be interesting to see how much of the game falls on Stetson's shoulders. I would say the key for Georgia would be keeping him out of third and long. His passing is best when you stay on track with the down and distance, but if you start getting third and long, and like you mentioned, Aiden Hutchinson and the rest of Michigan's D-line, which is not shabby by any means, if they you know, know that it's going to be a passing play, that's really advantage to them. Even though Georgia's offensive line is second in the nation in terms of fewest sacks given up, um, so to me, it's, it's staying balanced and making sure you don't fall behind the down and distance and don't put too much on Stetson's shoulders. What a breakdown. Kaylor's just yeah, out here going for our that. jobs, man. I love it. That's, that's, I was going to say the same thing, the whole, the, all of it, the same thing. So that's perfect. <laughs> just copy and paste it. Perry, yeah. Perry, what about you, man? Like where, where are we at if, if it, if that's the scenario that presents itself and you see Stetson out there in the second half, like that's, that's one of the things that I would think as a Georgia fan has to stick in the back of your mind about Kirby forever. And you're like, is this guy ever going to get it? Would that be something that you'd be you'd be thinking, and that would change your impression of him? Um. Well, I guess you know it depends on how much we would be down by when he enters the second half. But as far as you know, Stetson goes. I just kind of hold my breath and get tense every time he throws the football because yes, you know everybody was talking about all season about oh his efficiency rate, he was, his efficiency rate. There were several drives, several weeks in a row, where at the end of the second half he would try to five throw five interceptions on that drive. The defenders just wouldn't catch it. <laughs> he has a knack for, you know, you know, in crunch time situations, throwing a heat-seeking missile at a defender. Jordan Battle was just the first one to catch it, and you saw what happened with that pick six in a crunch time situation. You know, Candler touched on a good point about third downs. Did you know that Stetson Bennett finished with a higher uncatchable pass rate than success rate on third downs? Yeah, is that a PFF stat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, anytime you put the ball in Stetson's hands to win the game, I just don't get comfortable. Versus AP top 10 teams, he's 2-3. and three. Versus all others, he's 10-0. and 0. You know, and against those top 10 teams, he has a completion percentage of 53%. All others are 64%. 6.9 yards per attempt against top 10, 10.9 yards per attempt. 
Nice. His touchdown to interceptions is seven to six versus top 10 teams. And against all others, it's 22 and five. When he's playing a good opponent, I just do not have any faith in him to win us the game. There's just, there's just no room for error on the defensive side of the ball like that happened against Alabama. Okay, so defensively, seeing Jordan Davis gassed on the sideline, seeing those, those guys that have just been rock solid, like invincible during the regular season, seeing them gassed at the end of that Bama game, did that change your overall impression of what this defense is capable of? Or do you think that was kind of a one-off? I know there have been a lot of talk about, hey, they're dealing with the flu. They've got this going on. They've got that first 60-minute game they've had to play since early September. Like, where do you guys kind of stand on, on the overall, like, hey, defense can rise to this level? I'm not necessarily buying the flu excuse, considering we had it, you know, a few few weeks prior at Tennessee. I don't know how many times I can think of where a whole team would get, you know, ransacked with the flu three weeks in a row. I, th- I think that's just a little too convenient. Um, I think conditioning definitely played a role for Davis because he's used to so many three and outs getting on and off the field that we aren't used to those sustained drives against us. I also think, you know, this is the first time all season really that an offense has shown some explosive playability against us. And I just don't think they knew how to react to that because they, you know, whether they wanted to or not, I mean, they naturally got complacent with being so dominant all season, in my opinion. Um, I just don't think they 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 were they they were kind of just shell shocked for lack of a better term, and um, I I just don't think they responded well to it. I, real quick, I, I have to say this: whoever came up, I hope they're listening. Whoever came up with the whole notion that Georgia caught the flu three weeks after, and just the D line, the, the, the D line caught the flu three weeks after they caught the flu in Tennessee. There, that's the only time in history I've seen that a collective group of people be that lucky to to, to catch in. I mean, wow! Just, just I mean, like when he typed that out, he had to have known. Like, surely this sounds dumb as shit. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is no way to, but, to believe this, right? But you know, also you know, coincidentally, Tennessee was our second to worst, or yeah, second worst defensive performance all season. So I mean, Maybe it just, it just had to be that. It just had to be that. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fascinating to look at uh, what what can Michigan do that Alabama did? Like, can they repeat any of those same things, or is this just one of those games in which you're going to be kind of reminded, like, no, that's just not going to work against Georgia. You you can try and run at them with your your stud backs, and that's just like that's just not going to be able to happen. Um, where okay, so this uh, the the bounce back game, the the yummy rat poison. Marler, am I allowed to say yummy rat poison? Is that, is that good? Why Saban doesn't say yummy ever again? I'm good with it. That was weird <laughs> and uncomfortable. Just leave that to twelve year olds on TikTok to say that. Exactly. Uh, the the rat poison. How how confident are you guys that that's that's going to be something that we're going to look back on in this game? Or say Georgia got the yummy rat poison. They came out ready to go. They were firing on all cylinders, and this was. Like, hey, SEC championship was a kick in the, the the kick in the pants that they need. Yeah, I think there's a really strong chance that we look back and see that, especially with Michigan being in almost the exact opposite situation. Everyone's patting them on the back for their Ohio State and Iowa performances back to back. Um, I actually think that it's pretty relevant um, to to pull up the Saban quote from this week when people asked him what his team learned from A&M, the biggest takeaway that he had was it made them appreciate putting in the work to win and not just expecting to win. I think that applies to Georgia in this semifinal game because 
it, you know, we got to see this year, how does Georgia handle success? How do they handle being number one? And it, it, they handled it very well for a long time, but it, it clearly seemed to get to their head. And there were some miscues against Bama that were uncharacteristic. It's, it's one thing if someone just outruns somebody in our secondary, it's another thing entirely where we just have defenses where Mechie is running wide open down the field with nobody within 20 yards of him. That's obviously right. not designed to be run that way. So I think there were a lot of miscues there where, where they were hurting themselves, where I don't think you'll see a repeat performance. And on the flip side of that token that would actually add to this is I don't think Michigan can take a lot away from the blueprint that Bama has because their offense is almost the exact opposite of Bama's. Um, you look at this year, Bama has such depth at um, really well, I, I would say depth at pass catching, not just the receiver position, but their running backs have been great pass catchers. Uh, their tight ends have done a decent job, whereas Bama's not as much of a smash mouth running team, but Michigan is. That's what they're predicated on is running the ball between the tackles. So even if if you're Michigan, I don't know if you watch film and try to reinvent yourself in one game. So I don't know if there's too much that they'll take away from that Bama film other than maybe it's possible to get this Georgia defense tired like you you guys mentioned um but but very very different style of offense i don't think it's as good of a matchup for michigan as it was for bama against georgia's defense um just with their explosive playmakers on the edge versus michigan having to um to try to run the ball between the tackles a lot gosh what an answer to is the rat poison yummy <laughs> that's great <laughs> fairy what about you man where do you where do you stand on like the the belief that kirby's like this is this is the bounce back. This is like get a month of get a month of people telling them they suck. Essentially, is what Georgia has. Yeah, I think it could be a good thing. You know, Candler mentioned the whole thing about Michigan. You know, using the blueprint to Bama, but would be completely changing their thing up. I think that was an interesting point because, by all accounts, that's kind of what we did on defense against Bama. We played way more zone in that game versus you know typically just playing man ball and blitzing. Um, and you know, Lewis seen even came out and said that they they kind of got away from the stuff that got them got them there. So I am encouraged that it seems to be like we're getting we're getting back to that kind of you know aggressive defense. Um, and you know I, I think it will be good you know for them to have a whole month of just just kind of stewing on it. And I I really hope we just come out ticked off and just you know play aggressive football. Um, you know I I think it could be good. I think it I think it really could be an opportunity to present itself as a wake-up call real quick on that i, I just want to say this and, and I'm, I'm i'm not trying to be a dick i'm being dead serious mm-hmm. i want i want both of you because I, I seriously mean it because like Taylor and i talked about this like for a while at the game because it was like man like what keeps happening right like what how does this keep happening uh, if you if you guys could play like this this wasn't just like a good defense it was it's built up to be the best defense of all time like, I mean, like possibly, right? Like, and we all said it, like, mm-hmm. it's it just better than 2011 Bama defense, maybe the best that we've ever seen, like, in our lifetimes of all time. If you have done that for 12 straight games, and as you said, they started, got, they got away from some of those principles and, and practices, I guess, like, in, in the SEC championship, why? Why do you think that happened? Like, and why does it seem to continue to happen with Kirby when he gets in moments like this? You know, that's a good question. I think that... It could be a bit of an intimidation factor. I mean, you look at Saban's record against former assistants, it it could kind of throw Kirby off a little bit. 
Um, it could be the team kind of taking it for granted, hearing that, you know, they're favored against Bama, which rarely ever happens. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I look back at what happened in 2017 and that loss to Auburn being crucial to uh, Georgia rebounding and playing solid the rest of the season. So the team has it in them to bounce back and win these next two games. It's a question of will they execute? Um, you look at the difference in those two matchups against Auburn in 2017. The first one, they looked lost. They made uncharacteristic errors. They were muffing a punt. They um, dove over the um, the wall on another um, punt return attempt that set Auburn up for a quick touchdown. Um, they shanked a chip shot field goal, just all kinds of uncharacteristic mistakes. And they gave up 40 points in that game. And then you look at the SEC championship only three weeks later, and they gave up seven points. And, and the one touchdown Auburn scored was was helped greatly by a handful of Georgia penalties on that drive. So um, the key to me is, is do they execute and get back to what they were doing before? I think they absolutely have it in them. Um, will they do that? That could be, you know, another question. But I think that if they if they don't try to get too cute, if they line up and play football the way that they should, they have every bit as talented of a roster as Bama does. And so they should, you know, be able to play that game close and have roughly a coin flip chance at winning it. Um, but but like you mentioned, you can't go and, and try to reinvent the wheel every time just because you're playing against Bama. Um. I was just going to say blame Muschamp if all else fails. Getting, blaming Kirby. They couldn't blame him. We saw him at the, at the what do you call it, <laughs> at the, in the suite. <laughs> Wait a minute. You saw Muschamp in the suite? No, we saw Bobo. We saw Bobo sit there, and, and I was like, that guy looks like Mike Bobo. And Cameron goes, that's because it is. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good to see him decked out in Georgia gear. Yeah, Bo- Bobo is at that. Do you think is Bobo lobbying for a Georgia analyst position at the at this point? Is are we are we breaking news on this here podcast? Talk to him after the game, right, Taylor? So there's something like you gave him a text or something. It's like just trying to keep your head up or something. Like made sense. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Probably should have asked. Dang, man! And Taylor, you because Bobo was on staff when you were there, correct? Yes, he was. Gosh, so that's that's your guy. All right, I shouldn't be ragging on your guy like that. Bobo's had a Bobo's had an eventful couple of years, man. It's been been a wild in the in the world of Bobo. Um, sure. Do we want to win of the week before too? I mean, <laughs> he looked. I, I just I told him I shook his hand. I was like, he gave me a heart attack last week, man. And he just kind of stared at me. I was like, I didn't address any of this. Well, I'll just walk away. So. <laughs> Uh, do we want to do predictions and then uh, Perry can close us out with some uh, Perry? I know Perry's got the gambling props. Yeah, Perry. with this, I'm assuming. What do, What are you guys thinking? Final score of this one? Yeah, for me, I'm going to say Georgia 27, Michigan 17. Um, I think this is a a game that same thing starts off close. Um, I think Georgia's ahead by one score at the half, and I think it stays a close game and they get a score in the fourth quarter to salt it away. But I, I think these two teams are, are close to mirror images of each other. If you were to just say, you know, 12 and one team, top five defense in the country, top five O-line in the country in terms of fewest sacks given up and um, led by a game manager at quarterback and, you know, a, a Heisman contender on the defensive line, you wouldn't know which of the two teams I'm describing because that's both of them. So um, I think at the end of the day, that Georgia maintains enough balance to catch Michigan off guard. Whereas I think Michigan's just going to have to run it too many times in order to win this one. So I think Georgia gets just enough of a bounce back to uh, set up an exciting rematch against Bama. 
Perry, what about you? Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's going to be about, I think, 28-14 Georgia's my score prediction. Um, you know, as much as I, you know, went on my little rant about Stetson, there were opportunities there in the second half that if we can just fix some of those mistakes that we made against Bama that, you know, we, if we can get back to playing complimentary football, I think, you know, Georgia – We'll probably play a close game in the first half of Michigan, but I think they pull away probably possibly, you know, going up by two scores early in the fourth quarter and kind of close it out from there. Georgia wins and covers. Uncle Chris, what about you? I got 33 to 10, Georgia. And I'll just be honest, guys, I'm at the point this, and none of your listeners, Connor, will, have, will they'll, they'll remember this for sure, that this will surprise no one on here or in this audience. And that's just – I've just gotten to the point where I have, I have zero ability to objectively pick what Georgia's going to do or what Bama's going to do when they're going to play each other. So I'm, I think 33 to 10 is what's going to happen. Um, I don't know what happens in the national championship, but I just think this is a, it's a, it's a revenge game for Kirby. I, I mean, hopefully he'll have like a locker room speech that we can all listen to, run through walls to together afterwards. But I think I just, I, they're too strong. And, and you know how much I hate the Big Ten. So, I mean, I'm not trying to hit, sit here and watch white, white guys with a Z, their last name, play tight end all day. I'll say it again, Connor, 33 to 10. Wow. Didn't know we were going there, but all right. Okay. Uh, Perry, best props for this game. Um, do you have that fig- all that stuff figured out yet? Are our bets in? Are we waiting till the last minute? Are we wait until some COVID stuff? I typically, I typically wait to the last minute with my props, but you know, all, all season I've been riding the same ones, um, and I see no reason to mix it up this this year uh, or this week. So I think you know I'm going to go Georgia scores under the first six minutes. I'm going to go three straight scores because I think they'll probably score three straight times at the end of the second half. Um, let's see. Um, and then I think um, that's kind of what I'm settled on right now. It's kind of what okay. I'm going with. Real quick, and I don't know if this is going to be different, but but this seems so dumb and, and like and simple, but, but look at what Brock Bowers' total uh, receiving yards would be because I didn't look at that at all. I just assumed they would be you know pretty sky high considering the season he put up as a freshman. Against Bama, they were only 44 yards. What? So, yeah, only 44 yards. I, I was shocked. I mean, he had 10 to like, what, 130 or 150 or something like that? Like, he – I mean, so, yeah, look into that because I think that, that, that there's that's a guy they're not going to stop targeting. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, point. a lot of – I mean, that's that's Stetson's security blanket. When he when he yeah. gets in trouble, he just he just zeros in on Brock. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you, you kind, he kind of lives and dies by him because, I mean, <laughs> so – so yeah, they, I, I would whatever it is, I would hammer the. Over. And they're yeah. not going to do the thing too, where they're like, "Oh, hey, you got to block Aiden Hutchinson." Like they're not putting Brock Bowers <laughs> out there to block Aiden Hutchinson. That's <laughs> no, no, leave that no. for Fitzpatrick, leave that for Darnell Washington, like those guys. Mm-hmm. Let let Brock run his route. So yeah, I uh, I like that though. That makes that makes a lot of sense, guys. This was fun. I, I, we might have to do this again if if we get a Bama Georgia national championship. Like Marla, hey, Jay, hey, hey, we are not getting together <laughs> if there's a, if there's absolutely not. I'll put my foot down. We'll all talk afterwards. We'll all be friends afterwards, but not before. Oh, uh, I'll bring. I can bring you one of these like you know, Alabama hats that I have, like, you know, they, they make Bama ones too. I, I want that hat regardless. I'll tell you after the call because no free ads, but. All right, um. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. The pot schedule for the rest of the week. Going to do a little Sunday recap pod. That'll be similar to what we've been doing during the season. We'll have so much stuff to recap. Playoff games, all of those New Year's Day bowl games. We're going to be talking about Auburn, Mississippi State, South Carolina, probably Tennessee, probably forgetting a bunch of teams. Um, 
so we will have a ton on that Sunday recap pod. Probably have to spin it forward, talk a little bit of national championship as well. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday List Forever, wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.